Paul Christian, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we ask your blessing upon uh, the offerings that are given today. Lord, that we would use them for your kingdom and your glory. We thank you for all the ministries that are supported by the faithful giving of the people in this room this morning, and even those that give from afar. And Lord, may we be good stewards. May it be used to minister to people that need to hear the gospel, Lord, through the radio, through the church plant ministries, through Ohana, uh, through Bayamba, through other ministries that we're a part of, and also ministering to people here in our own fellowship who have need. And then, Lord, we ask now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Lord, we don't want the words of men, but the word of God. May it go forth with power. And I pray for everyone who's here this morning that we would be, have attentive hearts. We make this, make this the most attentive hour of our week as you speak to us. We ask these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. So Daniel, Daniel. So the, you're going to notice on your outline that there's two sides to it. And I want you to look at the, the blue side first. I'm going to give you a quick overview on the book of Daniel. This might be a good thing for you to hang on to. And so Daniel sometimes is referred to as the apocalypse of the Old Testament. So remember the word revelation is apocalypsis, which means the unveiling. So revelation was the unveiling of Jesus Christ. But in the Old Testament, Daniel is the one of all the books in the Old Testament that arguably has the most prophecy. Now, what is prophecy? It's foretelling of things that will take place in the future. And so we're going to see that uh, during the life of Daniel, who I just love, one of my favorite people in the Bible, I'm looking forward to having a Coke with him in heaven, amen? And during his life, we're going to see the prophetic history of the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans, things that will take place in the future. And again, we'll see throughout the life of Daniel, a young, God-fearing Jewish man who was transported from his homeland and raised in Babylon. So if you've been coming to the Old Testament, it's second and first and second chronicles, it's all about the people that have been taken captive in Babylon returning back to Israel. And so Ezra and Nehemiah, these are all contemporaries of Daniel. And so, and at the same time, Daniel also it shares prophecy that lines up with what we just learned in Revelation. So this is a perfect book for us to go through right now. We're going to see that the adventures he goes through and his friends in the palace, the fiery furnace, the lion's den, show that even during the exile. So Daniel, as we will see this morning, along with many others, were taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the king over the Babylonians. The Babylonians were pagan idol worshipers, godless. And so they were attacking. And why, why were we able to be taken captive? Because the the Jews, both in Judah and Israel, had become pagan worshipers themselves, largely. And because of their ungodly behavior, God allowed them to be taken away captive. And so when they're taken away captive, we're going to see Daniel this morning as a young man being ripped away from his home, ripped away from his family, taken to a foreign land where they try to indoctrinate him. And we're going to see him making a stand for the Lord in the midst of it. We're also going to see that Daniel gave God but God gave Daniel special things, including the ability to interpret dreams, and, uh, and designed, these dreams are designed to convince both the Jews and Gentiles alike that wisdom and power comes from God alone. So if you look at the outline there, 
says the focus in chapter one that we're going to look at this morning is the history of Daniel. So we're going to learn about Daniel today, the man, the young man, a teenager at this point. And we're going to get to know him. We're going to see his background. We're going to see what brought him to where he is. And we're going to see some stands that he makes as a young teenager that God is going to use to make him a, a mighty man of God for over 70 years. I asked this last time, when you think of Daniel, what do you think of? You think of the lion's den. Do you know that the lion's den takes place when Daniel's, is in, Daniel's in his 80s? He's in his 80s. So that means what, that he, when he started well as a teenager, the lion's den was 70 years in his future. And the only way he could finish strong is he had to start well. You have to start well at some time before you can finish strong. And we're going to learn about Daniel. Then we're going to see prop, the prophetic plan concerning the Gentiles from chapter 2 to the end of chapter 7. We're going to see the vision of Nebuchadnezzar, the vision of Belshazzar, the decree of Darius. Darius is going to make a decree to pray only to himself and not to the true and living God. And that's what's going to get Daniel in trouble because Daniel continues to pray to the Lord. And then we're going to see the prophetic plan for Israel. And these will tie in heavily with what we just learned in Revelation, the vision uh, again of the ram and the goat, and then we'll see the vision of the 70 weeks, which is, again, a picture. Uh, the last week of that 70 weeks is the great tribulation and the vision of Israel's future. And so the topics we'll see, it's crazy that this book is written in Hebrew in chapter 1. Then it's written in Aramaic from chapter 2 to the end of chapter 7 because it's speaking to the Gentiles. And then it's back in Hebrew again when you get from chapter 8 to the end. The timeline is about 605 B.C. to about 536 B.C. It's about 70 years, so the life of Daniel. And one of the things we see about Daniel is he's one of the few people in Scripture that we know he's a sinner saved by grace because we all are, uh, but there's 70 years of his life and not one mentioned sin, not one. And I'm thankful that the Bible doesn't hide the frailties of its heroes, because if everybody was Daniel, we might want to just give up. We're like, dude, I can never be Daniel. Now, again, we know that Daniel, again, was a sinner saved by grace, like we all are. But that being said, I love that there's pictures of others where you see God will take men like King David, who is both an adulterer and a murderer, but was referred to as a man for God's own heart, because God can take anybody transform our lives, and use us for his glory if we will but let him. Amen? So there's the outline of Daniel. I just wanted to give you that. And then uh, we're going to see, the, again, the personal history of Daniel. Then we're going to see the prophecy of Daniel, both to the Gentiles and then to the Jews as we go through these chapters over the next uh, three months or so. Now, if you flip it over, here's the outline for this morning. And I tell the message, a heart purpose to serve God. Now, I asked this question four months ago or whenever that was, I'll ask it again. What is the purpose of your life? If someone asks you today, why, why do you live? Why are you here? What is the purpose of your life? Now, again, we can have many purposes, but what is the primary purpose? Again, I'm purposed to be a father and a husband and a grandfather and a man of God. But priority, my priority above everything else is that I be a servant of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords that I walk in intimate fellowship with the God who created me, that I use the gifts he's given me for his kingdom and for his glory. The purpose of our life should be to impact eternity and to live a life that reflects our Savior to a lost and a dying world. Amen? So that's the purpose of our life. And what happens is we struggle in this world when we get our priorities mixed up. We should be the best worker in the building, but our career should never come before the Lord. 
We should be good husbands and wives. But you know what? The Lord comes before our marriage. Because if, our, if with the Lord is first, then our marriage will be good. Amen? If I'm a godly man, I'll be a godly husband. And I'll be a loving husband. And you know, if you're a godly woman, you'll be a godly wife and a godly mom. And so it starts off with our relationship with the Lord. And that must be the one area that compromise is never okay. We don't compromise our faith. We don't listen to the world. We don't bow to the culture. We, we fall on our knees before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And him and him alone do we praise and worship and honor and glorify. And, and when the Lord comes back, may he find us busy about his work. Amen? And so Daniel is an example for all of us of a man like that. When you hear his name, you think of the lion's den, but when King Darius was duped and commanded that all the men pray only unto himself for 30 days, Daniel's crime landed him in the lion's den and God stopped the mouths of lions. But you might also know that Daniel is spoken of as much more than any other prophet in the Bible and yet without sin. And this was a man who, in the midst of the most ungodly surroundings, see, sometimes I think that we look at the world around us and we think we have an excuse to compromise. Well, it's really bad now. It's just different. And we all think that. Well, well God spoke that word. It wasn't like the world today. And, you know, the culture has changed. I have Christians telling me, well, yeah, of course I sleep with my girlfriend because, well, that's what the culture is now. I don't care what the culture is now. What does the word of God say? Amen. We don't bow to the culture. Well, the culture says it's okay to this. Or I know a lot of Christian friends that go out and get drunk, so it can't be that bad. You don't compare yourselves to other Christians. You compare yourself to Jesus Christ. And the example isn't the pastor. The example isn't other believers. The example is the Lord, and we follow him. We are Christians, not Calvary chaplains. Amen? We're followers of Christ, and we follow him, and we obey him, and we don't obey anybody else. Amen? And so Daniel was this guy, most people believe he's about 13 years old. Anybody got any teenagers, young teenagers? Can you imagine your son or daughter being dragged away to a foreign land after maybe watching her entire, his or her entire family die and then making a conscious choice to stand for the Lord knowing it would cost them their life? We need more Daniels today, not just in teenagers, but in adults, amen? amen. Daniel is a man who's used mildly by God, who impacted the world the known world uh, for the name of the Lord in his time. He remained in a position of influence for over 70 years. Do you know that four kings came and went and Daniel was still there? Nebuchadnezzar came and went, Daniel's still there. Belshazzar came and went, Daniel's still there. Darius is going to come, Daniel's still there. Cyrus is going to come. He's a man of radical faith in the midst of a perverse and wicked generation whose walk with God wasn't dependent on the actions of others who refused to go with the flow. You've heard me say it, any dead fish can go with the flow. It's really easy just to be like the world. And he refused to compromise regardless of the potential consequences. And Jesus quoted the words of Daniel and referred to him as a prophet. And you don't get a better recommendation than that. Amen. A man who could, was used to both interpret dreams and to write one of the greatest books of prophecy. Much already fulfilled, the rise and fall of kingdoms we will see in coming chapters, including one next week. The coming of the Messiah. He revealed the exact day when he would enter into Jerusalem. Much to be fulfilled, the fate of Israel in the last days, the great tribulation, the work of the Antichrist, and the two resurrections. We see all of this being delivered to us by a faithful man of God that God used, again, to pen these words. 
would have all been for nothing had chapter one not happened. If he doesn't stand as a 13-year-old boy in chapter one, this book isn't in the Bible. He, there's no lion's den to talk about. There's no prophecy in the future. If he didn't make a stand when he was put into a position where he either could stand with the Lord or just go with the flow, then we lose out on everything else that happens in his future. And, to, and for some of us, you might be at that place in your life. You're in that crossroads where you're being impacted so much by the culture and you're watering down your faith and you're, you're, unash, you're being ashamed in some senses to stand up for the things of God. And you're quiet about your faith. You're keeping it to yourself. You're an undercover Christian. Guys, as Christians, we need to be sold out and unashamed of the gospel because when this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last and nothing else is going to matter. Amen? <laughs> we stand before him on judgment day. Nothing else is going to matter. He's not going to care how much you bench press on judgment day. He's not going to care how many followers you had on TikTok. Amen? He's not going to be worried about what kind of, how, how big your house was or, or the car you drove or, or anything else that we think is so important in this life. It's all wood, hay, and stubble. It's all chaff. It's all going to burn. You know what? It started well. Daniel's faith was strong in the end because he had been faithful in the beginning. His faith was tested at a young age, and Daniel was going to pass with flying colors. You know, he was a man we will see. Look at the outline. How do we do this? How do we have a, a heart purpose for the Lord? These are things we learned from Daniel. These are things that were in his life that should be in ours. First of all, he's a young man of the word. I can't be a young man of the word. I can be an old man of the word, but I'm, a, I'm an old man of the word. May we be men and women of the word. One whose life is directed by the word of God. We don't need counsel from the world. We need to seek only the mighty counselor. Amen? says in Psalm 1, walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. We don't seek after the counsel of the world. We come to the Lord. Guys, you know who has a lot of wisdom? People that hang out with the wisest one who ever lived. Amen? When we seek his word, we hear from the Lord, and the word we give to others should not be our opinion, but what the word of God says. I have people ask me all the time when I'm counseling them, I just want to hear your opinion. No, you don't. Well, just tell me what you think. What I think is irrelevant. You know what we want to know? What does God say? Not what, does men, what do men think, amen? So be, a, be a, a, a man or a woman of the word, not only to read it, but study it, unashamed to proclaim it, obey the word at all costs, open it, read it, obey it. Number two, be a person of prayer. The Bible says that you shall make my father's house a what? House of prayer. The Bible says to pray without ceasing, for this is the will of God. And people think that we, you know, you pray too much. We don't, I don't know anybody who prays too much. I don't think anybody's ever lived that prayed too much. I don't think it's possible to pray too much. Amen? Praying is talking to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. Jesus is praying for you right now. And when we pray, we pray to the Father in the name of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. And we don't pray to anyone else. We don't pray to dead saints. We don't pray to Mary. We don't pray to your pastor. That would be nonsense. We don't pray to anyone but the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? We pray to the Father in the name of the Son, the power of the Holy Spirit. Be in constant communication with God. Walk in intimate fellowship with the Lord. You know how you become more like the Lord? You hang out with him. Amen? You're going to become like who you hang out with. Daniel hung out with Almighty God, and Daniel was a man used mightily by God. Wasn't a man who just checked in with God from time to time, praying over your Wheaties, right? 
Dear Lord, praise, bless his food. Jesus' name, amen. There's your prayer life. That's pretty weak, amen? If that was your conversation life with your wife, how long would that marriage last, amen? We're married to Jesus. Not only being a man of prayer, but he was a man of prophecy. Now, you might say, well, how, how can I be a man of prophecy? I might not have that gift. Well, prophecy is two things. It's foretelling and forthtelling. Forthtelling is just proclaiming the word of God. This, you could say this is prophetic. We open the Bible, we read it, and we proclaim the truth of God's word. That's prophetic. But other form of prophecy is where God gives you a gift or shows you something that's in the future that you're able to tell people. Well, Daniel was gifted by God and used by God to share prophecy. But in our case, we can all be forthtellers. We can all share the word of God. We can all teach our children the word of God. We can all know the word of God enough that we can share it with others in whatever environment we may be. He was also a man who sought godly fellowship. While, we, while he would stand alone when necessary, he surrounded himself with godly men when possible. And Christianity is not for the lone ranger. I know the people that, that I get calls from are people that are struggling often, not always the case, but often it's because they're doing this alone. As Christians, we're not to have this walk alone. We need fellowship. Amen? Bible says a three-chord strand is not easily broken. And, and again, as I said, you're going to become like the people you hang out with. I want to hang out with people that love the Lord as much or more than I do. Amen? I want to be around people that will love me enough to exhort me when I need to hear it. Christians don't stab each other in the back. We stab each other in the front. Amen? There's times when we need to exhort one another in love. And we need to encourage each other. And we need fellowship. If you hang out with the world all the time, don't be surprised when you're more focused on the world than you're focused on the Lord. We're to be in the world, but not of it. We're to minister to the world, but have no fellowship with it. The boat's supposed to be in the water, but we don't want any of the water in the boat. Can I get an amen? All right. And then finally, he purposed in his heart. Daniel purposed in his heart. He stepped out in faith, even when no one else would stand with him. Some of you will say, well, I'm the only Christian in my workplace. Then God put you to be salt and light of that place. Amen? If you're the only person there, praise God. You know, the electric company doesn't put all the lights on one corner. Amen? They spread them out everywhere. So there's like, you don't want just one halogen light in one corner and then every place else is dark. And the greatest place to shine a light is in the midst of darkness because what is darkness? It's the absence of light. And when you bring light, when you're the, you know, the light of the world, when we come in and we reflect the Lord to a lost and a dying world, God will use you in a mighty and a powerful way. So your workplace is your mission field. When you walk down this hill and you leave this property, you're entering your mission field wherever you may go. So these are things we're all going to learn from the heart of Daniel. We'll see much of it right here in chapter 1. So let's begin looking in chapter 1. A heart purposed to serve God. What is the purpose of your life? Daniel was a man who would rather die with conviction than live with compromise and he found purpose in his life. Look at verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now, God is using King Nebuchadnezzar to bring about the righteous judgment of God. What happened first, the first time they came, he came three separate times. And each time he came, the first one was in 606 BC, he comes to and besieges the city. What does that mean? It's kind of what's happening in Gaza right now. What do they do? Is they surround the city. They don't allow food in or out. They bring people to their knees when they can't eat, they can't drink, and then they surrender. 
And then Nebuchadnezzar went in, and one of the first things we'll see in a few verses, he took the things from Babylon that he liked, but he left uh, another king in charge and wanted that king to be submitted to him. Well, then he's going to come back a second time because he's not getting the response he needs. The second king doesn't send him the taxes and doesn't do it. Then the third time he comes and he levels Jerusalem to the ground. He destroys the temple. He burns the place to the ground. So the first captivity is in that very, the very beginning of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar as king. And Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, their Jewish names, are four of the people that are going to be taken captive in that very first uh, siege that takes place in 605 BC. Now, why is, why is this happening? Just quickly, the, we know that in 2 Kings 23 and also in Chronicles, we see that Josiah had been a godly king, and then he had a son by the name of Manasseh. And if you guys were here from Manasseh, what kind of man was Manasseh? He was wicked. He was as wicked a man as you will ever see. He, he boarded up the, the temple so there was no temple worship. He started worshiping false idols. Uh, he got involved with sexual immorality. He was out of control. As he, he was sacrificing his children to false gods, setting them on fire in the hands of Molech. Wicked, vile man. And then his sons came along and they were right there with him. Now Manasseh, amazingly enough, got saved, gave his life to, to God at the end of his life. And I believe we'll see him in heaven. But what happened was because they were so far away from God, God said, pronounced righteous judgment upon them. And he's going to use Nebuchadnezzar to come in and bring that judgment. So it was the fault of the people who had turned their back on God that God allowed them to be taken captive. Now when it says it was besieged and then he comes into the town... Notice verse 2, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasury of the house of his God. So he went into the temple and took the things that were used to worship the true and living God, stole them away, and took them back to Babylon and put them in to the shrines to his false gods. Doesn't get any more sacrilegious than that. When we get to chapter 5, we're going to see a man by the name of Belshazzar. And Belshazzar is the king after Nebuchadnezzar. And we're going to see that he's literally having a drunken party inside of the, you know, the temple, place where he lives, and he's worshiping the false gods, using the things of God to get drunk. And it's actually there in that chapter, we'll see that the hand of God comes down and writes on the wall. It's where the term, the writing on the wall comes from. Meany, meany, and tell you parson. And it says, you've been found wanting, you've been judged. And at that moment, Belshazzar, they don't know the interpretation. They go get Daniel by that point in his 70s, who comes in and tells him what it says, that you're going to be judged by God. So these implements were drug away and put there. And now Belshazzar, many years later, is going to have a drunken party on stuff that was supposed to be used to worship the true and living God. So Jehoiakim became... A, a vassal or a servant to Nebuchadnezzar. He rebels after a few years, bringing the second siege upon the people. Then Zedekiah uh, becomes in charge, and he too rebels. And in each case, they're, getting, they're becoming more and more encaptured by the Babylonians and drug away. Look at verse 3. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles. Now, the, 
He's the chief of the eunuchs, and what the eunuchs did, and by the way, eunuch, you don't want to be that. Can I get an amen to that? So the eunuchs castrated, so their focus would be totally on the service they were called to. They would never father children, never be married, never be distracted. So the chief of the eunuchs went in, and as they were besieging the city, he looked for not only articles to take back, but good candidates to serve in the Babylonian school of wise men, if you will. And what they're going to do is they're going to take the, the most handsome, the most charismatic, and uh, the, the most intelligent of these young men, and as we're going to see in the next few verses, they're going to drag them away, away to Babylon. They're going to indoctrinate them into Babylonian culture. They're going to change their names. They're going to change their language, and they're going to teach them a bunch of pagan, idolatrous stuff. Sounds like college. And then... Amen. And then try to get them to live as if they were never Jews at all, never knew the true living God, to take away and challenge everything they've learned and to transform their lives. And you know what? Look, I get it. I have nieces and nephews in college right now. I, have people, I would just encourage you with this. If you're going to go to a college, if, first of all, if you're going to go to a college that isn't a Christian college, you better, you better be a Daniel. Amen? You better know what you believe and why you believe it and take a stand for it. Amen? And, and even in some Christian colleges, you have to do that. But I want you to know, if you start giving your, if you're going and you're going to give all of your, if you're going to have, be instructed by ungodly people all day, every day, because it's going to seep in. I don't care what class it is. If they, if they have no relationship with God, it'll get into the curriculum. And we just need to know what we believe and why we believe it. Amen? And a great example for us is going to be Daniel in these coming verses. So just think of Daniel. Just imagine what happens here. I, whenever I teach the Bible, I like to say, I like to put myself in the shoes of each person. Almost like watch the, the movie in my head. So here's Daniel. He's a young man. He's living in Israel. He's living in Judah, in Jerusalem. And as he is there, the temple is still there. Worship is still taking place. But he is surrounded by idolatry. And then in the middle of that, they get besieged. So now they're under the fierce, overwhelming uh, you know, government of, the ne of Nebuchadnezzar. And as they come in, they're coming in and a lot of people are going to be wiped out in front of them. We never see Daniel's parents mentioned again. I don't want to speak into silence, but if I, I fully believe that if Daniel saw his parents again, it'd be noted somewhere in the text that he saw his parents or met with his parents or prayed with his parents. They're never mentioned again. So imagine at 13 years old being drug away from your family, watching people in front of you die, being taken away to a foreign land where you think you're probably going to be killed when you get there or you're going to be enslaved. So this is a 13-year-old boy. You can imagine that, that trek. It's about 900 miles. So I don't know if they drug him behind him, you know, chained up, or they put him in a wagon, or whatever they did, but they, they traveled that 900 miles that if you walk, is about two months worth of walking, and all along the way, wondering what's going to happen to me as a slave in Babylon. And so this is Daniel. He's a young man, no doubt talking to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, as they travel along the way. So notice it says there, what kind of young men did they take? Verse 4, young men in whom there was no blemish, 
but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. So they looked for the brightest and the smartest amongst them. I don't know if they gave them tests or what, or just interviewed them, but somehow they recognized who the most intelligent were, and they're going to take them to this faraway land, but they've got one thing in mind. We want to indoctrinate them. We're going to take the Jewishness out of them. We're going to take the worship of Yahweh, of Jehovah, of of Elohim, the true and living God. We want to slap that out of them, and we want them to be indoctrinated to learning how to live and be a good pagan, idolatrous uh, Babylonian. And so isn't that what the world wants to do to our children? Amen? Wants to indoctrinate them and make them good, you know, citizens of America. Look, I'm an American and I love our country and I'm as patriotic as they get. But way before I'm an American, I'm a Christian. And my faith in Jesus Christ comes way before the United States of America. Amen? Because our country may tell us it's un, it's, well, we're not allowed to worship the Lord and we're not going to stop worshiping the Lord. I don't care what our government tells us. Amen? If they tell us we can't have church, we're going to have it twice as much. Amen? Because we're going to stand for the things of God and not listen to the world. And this is where Daniel's at. He's being drugged away. And he's going to be indoctrinated. And we're going to see that it'll be really easy for him to do what almost everybody else does, which is go with the flow. So they take this young man away. They've got a desire. They want to indoctrinate him. And Daniel and his friends were chosen for their good looks, their great intellect. And even from a worldly aspect, he had it all together. And they wanted to teach him their language and their literature. So we want to take you, you're going to stop speaking Hebrew, and we're going to indoctrinate you to speaking our language. And then we're going to take away the things that you studied, the word of God that you study, and we're going to give you the words of our culture and our pagan idolatry. And we want you to stop reading those books, and we're going to have you read these instead. Boy, that sounds again like our schools. We take Bible out of school, and we put in nonsense about two mommies and what a, bo- what a man is. Amen? We're indoctrinating people with the lie instead of letting them learn the truth. Now, guys, as parents and grandparents and pastors and Christians, we should make sure that we're teaching our kids the truth because it's really not up to the world to teach them. It's up to us to teach them. Amen? And when you teach them, you need to teach them the right thing. Well, praise God for Daniel's parents. They're not mentioned. We don't know their names, but I'm looking forward to meeting them in heaven. How about you? What, what, a, what, a, what a wonderful thing they did in preparing their son so that he can make a stand for the Lord. Often when you see godly young people, there's godly parents behind them. Verse 5, And the king appointed for them a daily division of the king's delicacies and, wine, and, and the wine that, of the wine that he drank, and three years training for them, so that at the end that they might serve before the king. Now, if you come thinking you might, you're, gonna, you're thinking, well, they might kill us, or, they, or, or the best option would be they're going to enslave us. And then you get there, and they bring you into a beautiful hall. This is what I imagine. They bring you into a beautiful hall, and they wheel out the best food in all of Babylon, the very same food that the king eats and the wine that the king drinks, and you might feel relieved. We saw him wiping people out. I thought maybe I was next. And if I wasn't going to be killed, certainly I was going to be enslaved, maybe breaking rocks somewhere, helping build temples to these false gods. And now they're bringing me in and treating me like royalty. And it would be so easy 
for Daniel just to say, whew, not as bad as I thought. I can roll with this. This food looks pretty good. Wine to drink. Uh, They want to train me so I can be one of the wise men and be in a position of influence. And Daniel could have easily just gone with it and nobody would have said a word. No, Daniel literally seems to be the only one that's going to say anything. Everyone else is just going to do it because it's easy. And guys, it's easy for us just to do what the culture wants. It's easy for us to not make a stand for the things of God. Right now, if you stand for the Lord, you're homophobic, you're xenophobic, you're thisophobic, you're phobic of everything. If you believe that God created us male and female, you're transphobic. I'm not afraid of any of it. You know what? We don't fear men. We fear God. Can I get amen to that? We fear God. And if we fear God, we don't need to worry about what men think. And too often, so here's Daniel. Is he going to fear men or is he going to fear God? 13 or 14 years old. I love this young man. I cannot wait to meet him one day. Now, he knew the word. That's key to this. If you don't know the word, you won't know when you're violating the word. Amen? Amen. You won't know. How do we know the truth? We know what the word of God says. So here's what happens is he's brought in and maybe the others are just like, you know, hey, we just walked 900 miles and they're bringing out a feast for us. This is pretty sweet. And they could have so easily just gone with the flow. He's attempting to strip away their faith and their heritage, again, much like colleges do today. So how would you react? This is where you are. Imagine everything's been ripped from you. It would be easy for you to blame God and be mad at God. Can you imagine 900 miles of walking? It'd be easy to say, well, wait a minute. Why, why would God do this to me? Why does he allow these pagan idolaters to destroy, you know, take, take me away from my family? Why am I being enslaved? I worship the Lord. I was faithful to God. And as believers, we must never fall into the trap of why. Because if we say why, it's because, again, I'm not saying if you pray that, I get it. But when we ask God why, it's because we think we know better than God. Is God smarter than all of us? So we don't ask him why. The real question is what and how? You know, Lord, how do you want to use this for his glory? And what do you want me to do with this? Lord, use it for your your kingdom and for your glory. We don't question God. We worship God. Amen? And so here's Daniel, and there's the feast in front of him. And this is kind of a moment of truth. Now watch what happens. Now from among those, the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them, the chief of the eunuchs gave names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. Now, the first thing he's going to do is take names that are honoring to the Lord and give them names that are honoring to their false idols. Daniel's name means God is my judge. And they change his name to Belteshazzar, which means Baal, protect his life. Anybody heard of Baal in the Bible before? Baal's an idol, false god, and they're taking his name away from God is my judge to Baal, protect his life. Now, what I do find interesting, how often do you see that name being used for Daniel? Almost never. What does he always refer to? Daniel. You know why? I think he told him, yeah, not so much. I ain't taking that name. (laughs) Hey, Belteshazzar, my name's Daniel. Amen. And he stood for it. I truly believe that. So they changed his name. Hananiah means God has been gracious. They changed his name to Shadrach, which is I am fearful of, and it's the name of one of their false gods. 
Mishael is who is of little account. They change his name to I am of little, or who is, who is what God is. They change his name as to I am of little account in comparison to a false god. Azariah's name means the Lord has help. And they change his name to the servant of the shiny god Nebo. Thanks. Appreciate that. So they took their names away. And you know what? I, and again, name your kids whatever you want to name them. Whatever you name them, you're going to love that name because you love your kids. Amen? My, my sons are John, Matthew, David, James, and Mark Andrew. And there's a reason for that. I love giving them biblical names. I love when I was a kid growing up and, and my name was David. I remember going to Sunday school, my little kid and David's fighting Goliath. You know what I mean? And, and it's just good. I, love Christ, I just love Christian names. I just love them. Because I just think for me, it, it's just a rem, constant reminder. When I talk to my son, John Matthew, all the time we talk, I said, son, you know who you're named after? right? John in the Bible and John the Baptist. That's two for one right there, right? And then Matthew, right? Two of the Gospels. And you know, I just love using... And so here they had godly names that were honoring unto the Lord, and they were going to take their names and make them have names that were worshiping or honoring to these idols. I also believe these godly names point to a godly heritage. Parents named their names that pointed to Jehovah. So they changed their diet. They changed their names. They're trying to get them to assimilate into the culture again, to go with the flow. Now, the Bible accounts point to Daniel and his friends, and I truly believe more than likely because they're going to be numbered among the eunuchs, I believe they were castrated. So can you imagine being a young man, name changed, traveled 900 miles, ripped away from your family, castrated, you'll never have a family, you'll never be a father, you'll never, and all of that's taking place, and then again, it would be so easy to blame God. It would be so easy to be mad at God. It would be so easy to say, well, at least the Babylonians are feeding me well. But that's not what Daniel does. We must never fall into the trap. You know, so he lays before them this pagan diet, possibly filled with idols that were items that were sacrificed to the false gods. So first, more likely castrated. Second, given a pagan diet. Third, their, name t- their names taken away. And again, given names that follow pagan idolatry. So here we have a teenage boy whose faith was being put to the test in a way few of us can even imagine. His circumstances and the trial he faced were overwhelming. I can't even imagine what it was like for these young men. Again, taken captive, family slaughtered more than likely, friends lost, faith being put to the test. And again, the easiest thing for them to do would be to conform. But even at his young age, Daniel knew conformity equaled compromise. Let me say that again. Conformity equals compromise. Conformity equals compromise. Guys, we cannot be conformed to this world and not compromise our faith at the same time. If you conform to the, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Amen? So when we conform to this world, we're compromising our faith. As parents gone, Daniel had to stand on his own two feet. Daniel's purpose, no longer around parents no longer around. Even though Daniel must have witnessed the brutality of King Nebuchadnezzar, and the easiest decision would be to conform. Now watch this next verse. This is one of my 50 favorite verses in the Bible. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of eunuchs that he might not defile himself. I've got underlined and highlighted in orange in my Bible, Daniel purposed in his heart. This is where I get the title for today's message, A Heart Purpose to Serve God. 
We purpose before we get to the moment where we can compromise. Daniel had purposed in his heart long before he was taken captive to honor and serve the Lord and to obey his word. And because Daniel purposed in his heart beforehand, when the opportunity came or when the moment came to choose between honoring God or listening to the world, his mind had already been made up. And I believe as believers, we need to make that decision beforehand. Right now I'm doing pre-marriage counseling for six couples, I think. And it's awesome. I love that. And we're adding more all the time. It's great. A lot of them are young couples. God bless the young couples who have purpose in their heart that they're going to honor the Lord in the way that they court. Can I get an amen to that? But because they purpose beforehand and know where the line is and know what's not okay until you're married and all those things and make that decision beforehand, then it's never up for debate. We already know this is where it is and we're not going to allow that to happen. As believers, we need to do the same. This is not an area that's okay. I'm not going to compromise my faith. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen? And we're going to honor God. And so when the opportunity comes to disobey the word of God, the decision's already been made. When the compromise comes across, no, we don't do that. And so that's Daniel. He's already purposed in his heart. I'm not going to disobey the word of God. Now he tells us that he's not going to defile himself. So he doesn't want the wine or the del delicacies. Now, why does, how does he know those things are wrong? How does he know? He's in the word. He knew from the word of God that they were not to eat things sacrificed to idols. He knew that. And so when they brought stuff in sacrifice to idols, even if it's tri-tip, he's like, no. I don't care how good it looks. It's been sacrificed to idols. It's from false gods. We're not eating of that diet. We're not going to do it. I'm out. Now, he also knows that Nebuchadnezzar kills people that disagree with him. And he says it anyway. Daniel is a man who'd rather die with conviction than live with compromise. We need more men and women who'd rather die with conviction than live with compromise. Amen? Too often we compromise because we're afraid someone might not like me or somebody at work will think bad of me or I might not get that promotion. You know what? None of that will matter in eternity. We need to stand for the Lord regardless of the cost. He hung on a cross for us. We can stand up for Jesus Christ. Amen? And so that's what Daniel does. He's purposing in his heart. I've made up my mind. I'm a man of the word. He's also a man of constant prayer. You know, the more time you spend in prayer with the Lord, the better you know the heart of the Lord. Because prayer isn't just a one-way conversation. We're sharing our heart with God, but God also speaks to us as we pray. He speaks to us in the silence. Amen? And so as he's praying and he's a man of the word, and he's so convicted in what is right and what is wrong, for him, this is not even an option to be considered. I can, I'm not doing this. You're going to lose your life. Can't threaten me with heaven. Amen? You just, and so I love Daniel's heart. He refused to bow to peer pressure. He would not be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of his mind. Daniel did not view God's word as a law to be considered or a path to ponder, but a blessing to follow. They're not the 10 suggestions. Amen? God gives us his word for a reason. and He knows what's best for us. He's not doing us to keep us from fun, but to keep us from harm. Daniel knew what the word of God said. He knew what the commands were. He says, I'm obeying God no matter what the price may be. No wonder God used Daniel in such a mighty and a powerful way. Daniel understood that the highest form of worship is obedience. And we need more Daniels today. I, I desire to be more like Daniel. How about you? You know, we learn from Daniel that he purposed in his heart at a time when 
He was going through the most difficult and almost imaginable trials of his life. As I said, his home besieged, his family and friends slaughtered, more than likely separated and carried away, numbered amongst the eunuchs, probably castrated, pagan foods in front of him, an attempt to make him eliminate his godly heritage, and Daniel could have easily questioned or been angry with God, but instead of doing any of that, he purposed in his heart to serve the Lord. Guys, may we purpose in our heart, no matter what our circumstances, to serve the Lord. Amen? Could have said, I guess I have to take care of myself. After all, a little compromise is better than being put to death. Is that true? It's not. But we compromise all the time, unfortunately. Could have eaten the food, fully embraced the culture, forgotten all of God's word, had little or no accountability, and nobody probably would have said a word. He could have done all of it, and nobody would have said anything, because they were all doing it too. And that's what we do. Often we look to other people and their example, and we follow it because we're more concerned with being in line with people than being faithful to God. It's character-building moments like this that made Daniel into a mighty man of God because when he was faced with these opportunities, when he was faced with this choice, he's going to choose the Lord over the world. He's going to choose obedience over compromise. These times of great trials that our character is formed, our testimony is forged, that God is often doing the greatest work in us and through us. You hear me say this often, there's nobody in the Bible used mightily that didn't suffer greatly. They all suffered, all of them. So when you stand for the things of God, if you're going to be used mightily, you're going to suffer greatly. And the truth is nobody's going to wear a crown in heaven that doesn't carry a cross on earth. Amen? God's going to reward those who died to themselves and are used for the kingdom of God and for his glory. There's 12 chapters about this young man because of what he does right here. If he doesn't purpose in his heart, he's not in the Bible. Or if he is, he's an example of what not to do. Instead, here he is, this young man. He stood for God in this trial. He would prepare him to stand in even greater trials that were to come. Is it any wonder that he went to the lion's den and would not stop praying? When you understand who he was at 13, does it surprise you at all that at 83 he's the same guy? See, it's because he would not eat the food offered to idols that he will not stop praying some 70 years later. Look at verse 9. And God had brought Daniel into favor and goodwill of the chief of eunuchs. See, when you stand for the Lord, sometimes it will come at a great cost. For many people, they are martyred and they lose their lives. You might lose your job if you stand for the Lord. You might lose some friends if you stand for the Lord. But sometimes God will do just the opposite. God was working on his behalf, like he did with Joseph in Egypt. Remember Joseph? He would make a stand and he'd throw him into prison. He didn't do anything wrong. They falsely accused him. And Joseph continued to remain faithful. And before you know it, he's prince in Egypt. And so here's the same thing's going to happen with Daniel. Now, he didn't know that God was going to deliver him. He didn't know that God was going to continue to use him. But Daniel puts his faith in action, and because of it, God is going to bless him. Look at verse 10. Then it says, And the chief of eunuchs said to Daniel, I, feel my Lord, I fear my lord the king, who has appointed you food and drink. For why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are of your age? And you would endanger my head before the king. So the eunuch knows if this doesn't go well, his head's getting lopped off. This is the kind of man Nebuchadnezzar was. Do as I say or die. And Daniel's going to challenge that. And the eunuch is concerned. Dude, if, if I let you eat what you want to eat, and then I bring you in before the king, 
and the pagan guys look really healthy and you look really weak, he's going to want to know why. Then they're going to find out about the diet and then he's going to kill me. So the eunuch is struggling with what to do based on what Daniel has said. But notice that God is going to use Daniel to influence this man to be willing to even lay his own life on the line. So Daniel said to the steward of whom the chief of the eunuchs had said over, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies and as you see fit, so deal with your servants. Here's what they say. I believe what the word of God says. I'm going to do what the word of God says. Test and see what the word of God says. See what happens when we obey the word of God. Compare us to those who disobey the word of God and see which one God blesses. And I am willing to die for this because I'm going to stand with the Lord no matter what the cost. Boy, do I love this Daniel. And if you guys are pregnant with kids, Daniel's a great name. It's a chance for a change from the inside out. Daniel says, test it and see. But the key is he purposed first in his heart. Again, it begins in your heart. When you're fully committed to the Lord in here, then you're ready to live it out here. Amen? It's rarely that you live that way and it changes your heart. It's a change of your heart. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. When your heart is changed, when your heart is devoted to the Lord, dedicated to the things of God, it's going to be reflected in how you live. And at the same time, if your heart is not focused on the Lord, that will also be reflected in how you live. By your fruit, they shall know you. Amen? Belief is reflected in behavior. He's not going to bend to the world. Look at verse 14. So he consented with them in this matter and tested them 10 days. The eunuch instructed to change Daniel's ways. Daniel did not bend, and instead he would teach the eunuch. See, this is what happens when we stand for the Lord. There will be those who try to indoctrinate us with a lie, and we can proclaim to them the truth. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, their life can be changed instead of them trying to change ours. Amen? We're, we're called to minister to people. Uh, Urson was at my house one day when we had two female Mormon ladies come by. And Urson was working on my electricity, and I came out, and he was talking to him, and he goes, oh, and this is my pastor. So I start talking to these gals, and just briefly, they're trying to, oh, you should just read the Book of Mormon and pray and ask God to you know, show you and warm your bosom or whatever. And they were very nice. And then I started talking to them, and they said, we didn't come here for you to preach to us. We came here to preach to you. I said, well, then you came to the wrong house. Can I get him into that? <laughs> the, the point is this, that when we have those divine appointments, we are called to stand for the things of God and proclaim the truth of God, not knowing how God may use that to impact the other people. Amen? They were very nice gals. My wife was in Colorado. Oh, we can come in and do your laundry, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, they, and they're trying. And, they're, and I said, you, Joseph Smith's a false prophet. You're preaching a false gospel. Jesus is the truth. Daniel doesn't listen to the eunuch. The eunuch starts listening to Daniel. Daniel's a man who has such conviction that the eunuch's like, okay. I know I could die. Well, let's give it a try. <laughs> That's powerful influence, amen? And God can do that. So he's a man of prayer. He's a man of the word. And watch what happens here in verse 15. At the end of 10 days, after their features appeared better and fatter in the flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies, thus the steward took away the portion of their delicacies and the wine which they drank. It's a good idea to take the wine away. And gave them vegetables. Now, what's interesting Daniel was obedient, 
God was glorified, he would be blessed. But notice that his 10-day stand changed everyone's diet amongst the wise men for the next three years. He stood for 10 days on what was true and what was right. And even the eunuch saw it and he changed everyone's diet. And you know, when you make a stand for the Lord and God does great and awesome things in your life, what ends up happening, people around you go, well, why is it the Christians act so different? And look how God is blessed. Maybe we need to do what they're doing. We had a Bible study in my office in San Jose and they started calling us the God Squad and it wasn't a compliment. And they would mock us all the time. And then we had layoffs in the office and everybody was panicking. And then one of my bosses, who was a Muslim at the time, who I witnessed to for 15 years before she got saved, she did get saved, praise the Lord. But she said, I was at home and I was thinking about everyone in the office is panicking about layoffs except for these people. And you know what it was? All the Christians. How come you guys don't panic? How come you guys aren't all worried about it? You guys walk around, you're all happy, you have joy, you go to your Bible study, you're just so happy, you all go to lunch together, you're talking about God all the time, and everyone else is panicking and worried, they're not going to have a job and fearful. And she goes, there must be something about this God you serve. Amen. Amen? Here's what happens with Daniel. We're going to do what God says. You do what the world says. Test and see. And they come back and go, what your God says is better. We're going to do that. So now the pagan idolaters are eating a godly, godly uh, diet. Praise the Lord. Amen. So he takes it away and it says, and for, as for the four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill and all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding and all visions and dreams. There's the prophecy. So because he was faithful, when it came to something as simple as his diet, God then blessed him in greater ways and gave him great knowledge and great wisdom because he knew, and God already knew, but he was a man that God could use. The eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth, seeking one who can show himself strong on account of one whose heart is faithful to him. Second Chronicles. The Lord's looking for men and women that he can use. Now, he already knows he's sovereign, he's beforehand, but he also gives us free will. And if we choose to obey him, God will use us for his glory. Amen? You know, the harvest is great, but the labors are few. And so all this wisdom is poured out on Daniel because of his faithful obedience. And he was increased in his use and use for the glory of God. We're almost done here. Verse 18, now at the end of the days when the king had said they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them before Nebuchadnezzar. The Nebuchadnezzar interviewed them among all of them. None was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they served before the king. So they were indoctrinated with all the pagan idolatry stuff. They were still taught all these other languages and everything else. But when they came in, they were wiser than any of all the other wise men. And why was that? Because they had a relationship with Almighty God. Amen? Because He is, the, he is all knowledge. He is all-knowing. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. And they're, they're His kids. They're following Him. And because of that, and that's why the wisdom of God, the wisdom of men is nothing compared to the wisdom of God. Amen. Foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom of men. Amen? And so that's why we don't, I don't need counsel from an ungodly world. I don't need counsel from dead atheists who are burning in hell to tell me how to live my life. Can I get an amen to that? A lot of the counsel you get, well, according to Freud, burning in hell. I don't need to hear from him. Amen? Walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. Amen? They need our counsel. We don't need theirs. Not that there's anything good in us. It's just that we are filled with the spirit of the living God. It's not because we're good, because he's good. Amen? 
And because Daniel was faithful to God, and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were faithful to God, we're going to see that God is going to put them in a position next to the pagan king, and that king's going to go, they're still going to be there. Another king's going to go, Daniel's still there. Another king's going to go, Daniel's still there. Why? Because if God is for us, who can be against us? Amen? Last two verses. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers in all of his realm. You know why? Because magic and astrology is nonsense. Amen? Amen? Amen. I have to have coworkers. What sign are you? I'm the sign of the cross. That's my sign. <laughs> Amen? What sign are you? I bet you're a Pisces because you're... Stop it. Because I was born a certain month at a certain time, I'm going to meet a redheaded stranger tomorrow at four o'clock. Where is that? All this, don't read that. Don't read any of that nonsense. We don't, we don't look to the stars. We look to the one who put the stars in the sky. Amen. Amen. We don't look for the magicians or anything else. We go to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. We don't need to hear for anybody else's opinion or what they think. We don't need 1-900-Psychic or Dr. Phil. We need Almighty God. Amen. Amen. And they, they were given 10, they were 10 times wiser than everyone else. Last verse. And then thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. What they're telling you at the end of that verse, and oh, by the way, Daniel reigned in that position for 70 years because he was faithful as a young man. Daniel would finish strong because he purposed in his heart to serve God and remain pure at a young age. He purposed by being a young man of the word, a young man of prayer, a young man who would not bow to the pressures of the world or, comp or to compromise, a young man who put his faith in action, who stepped out in faith that God blessed him. And guess what? We need more Daniels today. Amen? That wasn't too bad hearing that again, was it? The Bible rocks. The Bible rocks. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you, Lord. We thank you for the example of Daniel in Scripture. God is my judge. Lord, you are our judge. Lord, you're the one that leads and guides us. And Lord, may we learn from his example to be men and women of the word, men and women of prayer, men and women who foretell and proclaim the truth of God's word, men and women of godly fellowship, and men and women who have purpose in their heart above all else to serve you. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you, Lord. Use us for your kingdom and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. amen.